Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Aron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking about the scoop on collagen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 138 of the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast. Today, we are talking about collagen and whether or not it is worthy to be in your shelves as one of your regularly supplemented supplements. I don't know if I should say supplemented supplements, but (laughs) carry on. Okay, so um, the first thing we'll do is, Nicole, I guess we'll break down what exactly collagen is, where it comes from, how it's made, and then we'll talk about some of the claims on collagen. Okay. And we'll also talk about some lifestyle factors for um, outside of using collagen supplementation for some of the things that will also potentially help with the things that collagen claim to help with. So- This is something that Nicole and I have been talking about for a while. We decided, well, we kind of had thought, should we do like another protein episode and include collagen with a bunch of different proteins or should we just tackle collagen? And I thought it would be a great idea or we thought it would be a great idea to uh, just tackle collagen today and talk about all the things collagen. Yeah. I mean, it's so big right now. It's in everything. Collagen is very popular. It's collagen powders, collagen gummies, Mm -hmm. collagen, Nicole, as you alluded to in previous conversations, it's been in skin products for a very long time. Yeah. And I think maybe over the last, I don't know, I want to say 10 years, it has been more so something that people are, you know, some people are putting powder in their coffee or they're Mm -hmm. just drinking it within their protein shake or Mm -hmm. they're adding it to things. Or, you know, I mean, gummies are just in general, a super popular way to get things in. I think one of the issues that I have when it comes to gummies is what is the quantity that you're going to get of any ingredient? And Nicole, you and I have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Although I will say that the base for any kind of um, not a plant-based or vegan-based gummy bear, but if you're looking at just gummy bears in general, the base for it is gelatin and gelatin is just basically unrefined collagen. So Mm -hmm. if you're eating regular gummy bears, you're technically getting collagen. Um, (laughs) And if you're eating collagen gummies, then obviously you're getting a little bit more. All right. So Nicole, let's talk a little bit about what collagen is. Collagen is a protein that constitutes 95% of human skin. It also makes up between 65 to 80% of dry weight of tendons, and it plays a major role in your bone structure. So it would be wise to think kind of theoretically mm-hmm. that collagen may help with your skin. It may help with your joints and it may help with your bones, right? That's just mm-hmm. kind of logical. But the question really is when we ingest collagen, does it produce those types of results? And those are the questions that we're going to answer today based on the current research on this topic. All right, let's do it. 
The first thing that I want to talk about before we get into that, though, is the fact that our bodies naturally make collagen, obviously, because our skin is made up of collagen and our joints are made up, joint tissues made up of collagen, and it makes up the structural component of our bones, like I just talked about. So um, if you kind of think about it like this, it's about giving your body the substrates that it needs. So we've talked about this in terms of whey protein or animal protein, egg protein, things like that, mm -hmm. animal, animal byproducts, where we've talked about, it's kind of essentially the concept of you are what you eat. If you eat animal muscle, you're going to build muscle. And the reason being is because animal tissue is very high in branch chain amino acids. And so is, I mean, we're animals, right? So our muscle tissue is very high in branch chain amino acids, specifically very high in leucine. So if we eat sources of food that are very high in branch chain amino acids and leucine, that seems to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and help us to further build muscle. That's why the recommendation is always eat high quality proteins if you want to focus on building muscle, right? So just kind of thinking about it, amino acids are the building blocks of proteins. If there's a high concentration of a certain amino acid in a specific type of tissue, like we're talking about here, it would obviously make sense to eat that kind of protein or those specific amino acids. So for muscle, that's going to be branched chain amino acids. And then I guess the question that we're raising, obviously here, Nicole, is if you are consuming the constituents of collagen tissue, right? So we know that in muscle, it's branched chain amino acids, it's leucine, valine, isoleucine are the three. Mm -hmm. And then we know that in collagen, it's generally glycine, proline, hydroxyproline, and hydroxylysine, which are going to be the main constituents of collagen protein, which are also the main constituents of what it takes to build collagen tissue, to build connective tissue, to build your hair, skin, and nails. And by connective tissue, I mean your joint tissue is connective tissue. It connects essentially from, you know, your tendons connect muscles to bones and things like that. As we age, we also know that collagen production declines. Yes. So then we ask the question, okay, so as we age, would it be wise to consume collagen proteins, right? It's kind of similar to, and this is the same thing as like sarcopenia. As you age, you start to lose muscle mass, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So then is it wise to eat more protein? And I've looked at it pretty extensively at research regarding that. And it shows that in order to stimulate muscle protein synthesis in an, in an older population that has sarcopenia or that is at risk for sarcopenia, it's going to require significantly more protein. And then we look at, okay, well, what's the RDA for these individuals? The RDA, I mean, when Nicole, we've talked about the RDA and how the RDA yeah. really, it really isn't, you know, it's the bare minimum for anybody, but especially in the elderly population, they should probably consume significantly more in order to adequately stimulate muscle protein synthesis and to adequately maintain their muscle. I mean, I'm not talking about building muscle in this population, obviously, but if we can maintain as much as they, as much as we can throughout the course of their life, then they'll have a better quality of life. And the same thing I would think goes for collagen, where we're talking about if you are, listen, if you're worried about aging and skin and things like that, maybe it's wise to take a collagen supplement. And the part of the reason why your skin appears the re the way that it does as you age is because, or one of the reasons is that you have a reduction in the production of collagen. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, anyone that is 
aging. I mean, listen, anti-aging is part of this whole conversation. And that's where collagen comes into all beauty products and skincare and facials. And that's the the whole reason why most women, myself included, I will say, have been using products with collagen from an anti-aging standpoint. And so it's no different when you talk about regular protein intake as I'm aging or as populations in my age are aging. We're not just trying to um, we're not just trying to preserve muscle. We're also trying to function, move, stay active, you know, neg- uh, what is it? Navigate pain, you know? So like it, the aging part of this, I think is a really big piece of the conversation because prevention is one thing if you're younger and you're trying to enjoy being young and maintaining or building. But as you age, you want to maintain and not lose. And you also want to be able to function and, you know, not look so old. Yeah, people want the fa- well. I mean, people want the fountain of youth. They want listen. To look that's yeah, of course. All right, so let's get into the where collagen comes from that we would take in these supplements, and then we'll get into some of the claims, and we'll talk about some of the research on these claims. So, supplement sources of collagen or collagen peptides would come from connective tissue of cows, pigs, and fish generally. And I don't think that there is a difference. Sometimes it comes from like fish skin or fish uh, scales. Mm -hmm. I don't think that there is a difference. I have heard in the past where people are like, it's better if it comes from marine sources or it doesn't really matter. The amino acid composition is the amino acid composition in all connective tissue of all these different animals, including humans. So therefore, it doesn't, I'll just full disclaimer right there. It does not matter. (laughs) Some people will say that collagen, this is one of the arguments against collagen, is that some people will say that collagen peptides can't possibly help you because peptides get broken down into individual amino acids before they get absorbed. Mm -hmm. However, there are studies that show that, first of all, hydroxyproline is something that your body makes. Hydroxyproline, hydroxylysine are -hmm. things that your body makes as a result of uh, vitamin C helps in that process is, is necessary for that process. So, and we'll talk about that towards the end of this podcast where we talk about other lifestyle factors, but those specific amino acids are going to enter in. And the other thing is that there are several studies that show that prolyl hydroxyproline, which is a peptide is resistant to proteases that are the enzymes that break down these peptides and turn them into individual amino acids, mm-hmm. right? So the argument of you're not going to absorb them is not correct. Um, prolyl hydroxyproline and hydroxyprolyl glycine are absorbed after ingestion as dipeptides, not as amino acids. And there are studies that show that they get they, those amino acids. And we know this because you test the blood and you look at, okay, well, what do we find these amino acids shortly after they're ingested? Yeah. And they are. And uh, the there's a thought that these become deposited in the skin and that there's a benefit of that. So that takes me to the first claim that it helps with skin hydration, wrinkles, mm-hmm. wrinkle depth, mm-hmm. and skin elasticity. Yeah. So there are studies that show that there's an age-dependent reduction in collagen synthesis, and it can be reversed by administration of collagen peptides. Now, whether or not you're taking, and I've seen multiple different studies on this, if you're taking whole collagen or collagen peptides, mm-hmm. some people, I've, I've heard some people argue the point of like, well, you should take collagen peptides 
I don't see a difference. I've seen uh, I've seen studies that use whole unprocessed collagen. I've seen studies that use hydrolyzed collagen, and I've seen studies that use collagen peptides. And you see uh, some pretty good outcomes in terms of skin elasticity, skin hydration, reducing wrinkle depth in all of them. And the average dose, I'll I'll just say for everything that's pretty much studied, the average dose is probably anywhere from 2.5 to 10 grams per day. And we do find a benefit. So we're not really clear on whether or not, like is 2.5 better or is 10 better? I don't really know. Will will it be detrimental to have 10 grams of collagen peptides? Absolutely not. It's a protein just like anything else. So going into some of the studies here, a randomized control trial of 45 women aged 45 to 60 supplementing with 10 grams of hydrolyzed collagen for 12 weeks showed reduction in face wrinkles, increased skin elasticity, and increased skin hydration. Another study using five grams of hydrolyzed collagen showed increased skin moisture, decreased wrinkles, and decreased wrinkle depth. So we know that this stuff works in terms of your skin. Well, I can tell you this. Women don't use products that don't work or don't take... What what kind of a statement is that? Well, listen, the statement is just if something... if if Oh, how do I say this? Most women, I'm talking about using it as beauty products, right? So let me just start there. I promise I have a point. If you use something and you see a difference on your skin, like on the outside, I feel like that is a different experience than if I take a supplement like collagen in my coffee and I drink that for days, a month, and I start to slowly see something change or my joints feel better or my recovery from my workout is better. I do believe that's a slower process. Is that a fair statement to say? Yeah, sure. Okay. So if I'm using it on my skin, I'm just correlating. If if someone like me goes, oh, I buy this product, I use it on my skin, and it's working, just from a mindset standpoint, the next leap that I make before looking into any research, and I know I'm just saying this, would be that if it works on my skin and that felt better, then if I put it in my coffee and I start ingesting it as a supplement, I wonder what it would do for me if I did that. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I think it really just depends on looking at how things get absorbed. Right. So there's a, there's like, there's like a 500 rule for like, if it's smaller than 500, uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's Dalton's on on skin. I didn't really look further into that, but if it's smaller than a, a particular particle on your skin, then it will get absorbed into your skin. Now, mm-hmm. for your digestive tract too, we also know, I mean, the, the short answer is, I mean, does that always work? No, but d- is it going to work when it comes to the context of collagen? Yes, because when we look at the particle size of some of these peptides, they're mm-hmm. small enough to go into the intestinal barrier, right? There's, yeah. We know that there is a certain size of molecule that can either enter the intestinal barrier or not. That's like when we talk about things like, quote unquote, leaky gut, which is intestinal hyperpermeability, Mm -hmm. it's allowing larger than normal sized particles into the intestinal lining. So we know that there's a limit to a healthy digestive tract Mm -hmm. and the size of particles that it can let in. And so what we know about collagen is that it's the particles are small enough to get into your skin and also to get into the digestive tract. Now, which one has a better, I I guess, a more protective barrier? I don't know if it's skin or the digestive tract. If I had to just blindly guess, I'd say the skin 
skin would be allows my allows less in. Yeah. But I can't say that for sure. I, I that's something that I'd really have to look into. But yeah, so if it works on my skin, if I ingest it, well, especially because here's the thing: it's being marketed in that way, right? Well, so- this is the you know I'm always going to tap into that because. My point of that is when we talk about why it's so popular is because I do believe that that's not just how it's marketed, but that's what the client mindset is or a person's mindset in general is if it works for one, can it work for the other? Is it like if there's no harm in it, why can't I try it? Why shouldn't I try it? You know, and if you're trying to prevent aging at some point, you're kind of not really worried about if there's no harm in it. It's not there's no like risk in taking it. It's not like collagen is going to give you like a third leg or something crazy like that. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's another reason why we get questions as to if it's, uh, you know, an optimal option. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, uh, you know, like I said, studies show that it's good. It's a pretty solid supplement for skin. As far as I'm concerned right now, um, there are, there's a mixture of data on this. However, it seems like the majority of the research shows that it does help with skin and wrinkle depth. And I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it the fountain of youth. I think well, that there no. are other, I think that there are definitely other lifestyle factors that you have to consider. And again, when we're talking about dietary supplements, they're just that they are meant to supplement your diet and your lifestyle. They're not meant to replace it. Right. So if you have a yeah. shitty diet and lifestyle, will collagen <laughs> potentially help you? Like, yeah, maybe a little bit, but now think about the compounded effect. Right. If, if you drink you, water. Exactly. If, you focus yeah. on all of these other lifestyle factors. You exercise on a regular basis, yeah. right? You These things are going to help to drive that and perpetuate that even further. Yes. Enhance. Exactly. So, Nicole, let's talk about joints and some of the claims on, on your joints. And this has been studied in terms of I've seen studies on Achilles tendon tears. Mm-hmm. And when you look at um, you measure collagen supplementation versus not taking collagen supplementation in terms of the recovery process, yeah. studies on joints and connective tissue have shown an increase in injury recovery with something like an Achilles tendon tear. And I bring that up specifically because that's a specific study that I saw. Now, it's also believed that there are anti-inflammatory properties that can decrease joint pain. There are studies on osteoarthritis, for example, that show that there's a reduction in perceived pain. Mm-hmm. And that is huge for when we're talking, Nicole, about an elderly population. And as you age and as you start to experience joint pain, if there are anti-inflammatory properties to taking collagen, then that is definitely going to be beneficial. Now, I don't think I don't think it's going to get rid of your pain completely, but This is something that we look at from a a pain standpoint as you start to age. Like, what are some alternative things outside of like anti-inflammatory medications or something like um, a gabapentin to calm the nerves down so that they're not really overly stimulated? Uh, When we're looking at natural lower risk additives, right? Something that's going to add to that effect. Collagen supplementation is shown to reduce pain and it's shown to... Uh, help with joint support. The other thing on on speaking of like joints, when we're talking about bones, for example, bones, and this was actually surprising to me because I knew nothing about this prior to diving into the research here. Studies using collagen peptides in, uh, there's a specific study using collagen peptides in postmenopausal women. And what we know about postmenopausal women is, or what we know about people at a certain age, but specifically postmenopausal women is that they're they're at a higher 
risk for osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, what happens with bones is that you build them through the beginning and kind of middle of your life into, let's say, your 20s. And then you hit a certain age where it kind of shifts. And and rather than building more bone than you're breaking down, you start breaking down more bone than you're building at a certain age. And especially postmenopausal, because of the loss of estrogen, Mm -hmm. this becomes exacerbated. So a study using collagen peptides in postmenopausal women showed that five grams of collagen peptides for 48 weeks showed increased bone mineral density in the spine and the femoral neck. So it may be beneficial because it is a structural component or as part of the structural component of bone, it may be beneficial in, I wouldn't say reversing osteoporosis because you no. can't really reverse it, but just making it not worse. It'll be slowing yeah, it down. Yeah, exactly. Slowing down that breakdown and supporting healthy bones throughout your life. Because as we know, as you age, one of the biggest risk factors for mortality is if you fall Fall. and break a hip or break Mm -hmm. a bone, the concern there is that you're not going to be able to recover from it. And that's going to lead to further complications. You're going to be in and out of the hospital. And then that's going to be, you know, it's, it's at, it's a risk for mortality when elderly people fall. So the stronger bones you have, the better off you'll be in terms of quality of life and just risk of mortality from these instances. Yeah. I think that's why this is, has become so popular is when you use the word anti-aging, like there's just so many great benefits to that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I think, I don't, I think a lot of people use it kind of for vanity reasons more so than anything else. Absolutely. However, I do think that, I do think that as people age, they do start to think about these things and they try and find solutions to that. Well, you start thinking very differently when you function differently or you move differently or pain when, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had an injury, but I had an injury when I danced. When you're in pain with an injury, you will do anything to feel better. Yeah. If you told me collagen will help, bring it on. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) Listen, uh, I just, I mean, Nicole, you know, I've been, you know, I have an aging dog here, so I've been going through stuff with him and arthritis and him being in pain. And the vet said to the vet said to me, uh, maybe, maybe try giving him like a uh, glucosamine supplement. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I told the vet, I'm like, I'm just, I'm like, I'm like, I basically have a master's degree in nutrition at, at this point, right? I'm almost done. I've got another, just an internship. And yes, but this is your left. dog. But I'm like, even the research on humans is really unclear on that. But at that, at this, at a certain point, you're like, all right, right well, is it going to hurt to take it? No, exactly. Right. And if it's not going to hurt to take it, then, you know, so I got him this thing with, uh, it's got a bunch of stuff in it. It's got omega threes in it for inflammation. Mm-hmm. It's got turmeric in it, which I wish it was curcumin, not turmeric, because the very low concentration of curcumin and actual turmeric. Yeah. And it's got the glucosamine and some other stuff in it. Uh, it's, and it has the black pepper extract too, which I was surprised about because that's yeah. necessary for like if you know how um, the curcumin works, is that you need it's very it's very low bioavailability. So when you mix it with black pe- black pepper extract, which is known as bioperine, then you end up um, absorbing a little bit yeah. more of it. Mm-hmm. And then I paid a bunch of money for this thing and then he ate it for like two days and now he doesn't like them. So <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm shit out of luck because I got a picky eater over here. Um, but in any case, yeah, to your point, yeah, that's where I was going with that. 
Yeah. If it's your dog and if you see him in pain and you think it'll help, you put your degree and your mind aside and you you try and see if it helps. And if it doesn't, then okay, fine, but you do it. So if you think of that, that's your dog, if it's an aging parent or, you know, a child that is injured from a sport, I mean, whatever it is, like, the goal is people want, we want to, people want to feel better. And it, like you said, if it's low risk, there's nothing that's really going to harm. Why not try it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that I found research on Nicole is that the they look at and I'm like, I don't even know why we're looking at this. This, this is one of those things where I where I kind of think more like you in terms of uh, things where it's just like, man, that's just stupid to study is <laughs> can you build muscle using collagen peptides? Right. And the answer is wrong question. Well, so here's here's the thing. Here's where I'm going with this is that I, it wouldn't be my first choice yeah. to take collagen protein for that because it doesn't have, first of all, it's missing um, it's missing tryptophan, so it's not complete, but it doesn't have the amino acid profile. Like it's very low in branched chain amino acids. Yeah, but what about so, the compounding effect? Well, so, but that's where we get into, right. So if people tell me, Daron, should I eat? And Nicole, you and I talked about this offline, is that you know, does it count towards my total protein for the day? Yeah. The answer is absolutely yes. So mm -hmm. from where you're going, I think, Nicole, is more so the stance of if you're already eating an adequate amount of protein that's high in branched chain amino acids, that's high in leucine, and you're stimulating muscle protein synthesis, should you count your collagen protein within your total protein for the day? Yes, because that's just going to be additional amino acids that are going to go mm -hmm. into the amino acid pool yes. over a 24-hour period. I think this is the misconception that people get when it comes to building muscle is that they think that they always need to eat complete proteins all the time, but they neglect the fact that your body has, although it doesn't have storage, like you have glycogen storage where you store mm -hmm. your carbohydrates, you have fat storage where it's basically just stored as fat, right? You have tons of energy stored. You don't necessarily have, I mean, some people would argue, well, your muscle is the storage of amino acids because it's made up of amino acids. But because people kind of think that you don't really have a storage, so you need to always eat complete proteins. So if you're mm -hmm. eating, and I used to, I used to think this way too, is that, well, you can't have beans without rice or vice versa because they're not, they're incomplete proteins and you need to complete it to mm -hmm. get adequate stimulation of muscle. But Really, the thing is, is that those amino acids are floating around through your bloodstream, not just in that meal for the 24 hour period that you've eaten, potentially yeah. even 48 hours. Right. So as long as you're eating adequate amino acids of certain types throughout your entire day, that's really what the focus should be. And I don't really think, listen, if you're eating 100 grams of protein a day and 10 grams come from collagen protein, I don't think that that's going to affect your progress in terms of building lean muscle. To go one step further, what I was thinking as well is if you're someone that has joint issues or joint pain and you can't lift because the joint pain is bothering you and, and adding collagen compounded with eating well and getting your fiber and getting your protein and drinking your water, if it gives you that much m feel better type of body, then you actually can consistently lift and consistently build muscle. Like compounding that, you know. If you have an injury that's nagging and adding collagen helps to make sure well, that it feels better, then you lift better. I mean, my whole point is I feel like sometimes the research study questions are just they're so um, 
isolated to that one factor. And I know that's what they have to do in order to do the research. I get it. But I also feel like in the bigger picture of people and humans and health, it has to be factored in from a lifestyle standpoint yeah, once you well, figure all that out. So, Nicole, to your point, too, what that kind of makes me think as well is that people tend to get hyper focused on yeah, one thing way. that they're trying to do, but then they yeah. forget like all of the components like your joints are very important for you to be able to lift. And if you're strengthening your joints through a certain process, right, yeah. then that is going to help you with your lifting and that's going to help you get stronger, right? If you just build, 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 build. And I've seen this in professional bodybuilders where you focus on this muscle and you grow muscle so rapidly. Yeah. And then you end up with your joints aren't strong enough to support the muscle that you have. Right. So yeah, they tear. We, we have to focus on all aspects of, you know, it's like I'm focused on building muscle, but I'm not focused on my flexibility. Although if I increase my flexibility and mobility, then I'll be able to move more efficiently and therefore build mm -hmm. more muscle. Right. So things like that, that people really need to think about a more well-rounded approach. Yeah. Whole uh, person. Even, even though it kind of takes more time and it takes more focus out of other things, uh, it's going to benefit you more in the long run in terms of your progress and what you actually want to achieve. Yeah. When I did physical therapy for my injuries, I had an amazing physical therapist and collagen was something I did use during my healing process. And I, she used to say to me, let's look at everything piece by piece and let's find out where the holes are in how you're feeling. So like I had severe inflammation in my hip. I couldn't sit for long periods of time or I, I had limited mobility in one direction. So when you look at things from the big picture and you can do this with your nutrition, you can do this with your workout programs, you can do this with your health, you can do it how you feel, injuries, whatever. And then supplementation, I think, is an important part because it is supplementing whatever the hole is, you know what I'm saying, like or where the gap is between how you feel right now and where you want to get to. And so one of the things we worked on was filling in the gaps of the places that in order for me to heal and get from point A to point B, these are the things I needed to do. So a lot of the times, even supplements like this, it could be a short-term thing. Maybe you take it during a healing process. Maybe you take it once you hit a certain age. Like It's not going to be the end-all be-all of everything that you do, but in the grand big picture, if there's a gap or a hole or something you feel like you need to plug into, this could be a benefit. And I think it's worth exploring. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, Nicole, let's move on to the last claim on collagen. And this is one that I'm not sold on. And this is one that I think I think that people make a lot of claims around gut health. And I think that it's I just to me, it's crazy how people make all, all these claims on gut health without adequate information. Well, that's just because when you say people, I'm going to assume that you mean general population. I don't. I don't. I mean no? practitioners too. I absolutely mean practitioners too. I think well, there wait, are a lot of people out there. Practitioners from a holistic standpoint, practitioners from a doctor standpoint, because doctors recommend stuff like this too. Like, don't kid yourself. It's not just one all person. All, You're all saying in general. Yeah, and I and I think listen from the the things that I've read regarding gut health. Uh, I say it all the time. Like glutamine, for example, I'm not sold on glutamine when people are deficient in glutamine then glutamine helps with intestinal permeability. But when you're not deficient in glutamine, which most people aren't, it's not going to help with intestinal permeability. So like, it's really dependent on, it's just, it's more complex than people give it credit for. And there are a lot of unknowns and there are a lot of holes in the research when it comes to gut health. And I think yeah. that people too prematurely make claims. And a lot of these claims tend to be debunked. It's kind of like, 
you know, people talk about gut health and gluten and 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 all type. You know, I'm not even going to get into it because I'm going to go off on a tangent. But let's get into let's focus on the research on gut health and collagen. Okay. So as far as we know, and this is what I'm talking about when it comes to jumping the gun on things. As far as we know, collagen peptides, they aid with intestinal epithelial barrier dysfunction in KCO2 cells. Essentially what that and what they said what they're saying is that it enhances the tight junction. So what they're saying is that it will aid with intestinal permeability. The problem with this that I have, Nicole, is that it's a cell study. Mm-hmm. And when you are doing cell study, like when you're studying it in a petri dish, it's not always the same in the human body. Yeah. The second thing that I've seen that's a claim on it is that collagen peptide or a high collagen peptide diet aids in altering the gut microbiome and that mm-hmm. increases short chain fatty acid metabolism which we know that short chain fatty acids like uh, butyrate is really good and healthy and beneficial for the intestinal lining and the intestinal cells and cell proliferation and things of that sort however this is also an animal model right so when we're looking at things like leaky gut and we're looking at things like you know bacteria gut bacteria we need to say, okay, like those are the first steps, right? First, you start in a in a petri dish, then you end up in an animal, then you end up in a human. But until we've actually seen it in a human, I just don't listen. Like like you said before, is it going to hurt you to take it? No, absolutely not. But from a research standpoint, in terms of gut microbiome and the um, like, a prebiotic effect and also like intestinal permeability there are a lot more things that are a lot more scientifically sound. Like for example, eating more soluble fiber that we know shifts the microbiome to producing more short chain fatty acids because the microbiome, those quote unquote good bacteria, and I don't like to call them good and bad because they're all present and it's just the transient effect. Like how much of which one do you have? Yeah, they have a role. So the probiotics that feed off of these soluble fibers, they produce this short chain fatty acid. So if you feed them, they'll, you know, they'll be able to colonize even further. So if you're eating more, like fiber would be my first go-to. I just think that it's, can it be used as a tool in your arsenal? Yeah. If it works potentially, which we're not clear on yet, but I just think that supplement manufacturers make claims on it prematurely, which they do all the time. And then I think practitioners that really haven't looked into the research in depth, they just follow what the manufacturers are saying. And you yeah. know that these companies just want to sell a product. So that's what I have an issue with. Yeah. Well, I will also say this. Let me just jump in here on that. I also think that practitioner, healthcare provider, nutrition coach, I don't care, whatever title you put on a person that discusses collagen for gut health is trying to make the person feel better. Like, I know it's on the man. Like, listen, I'm the first person to tell clients you have to listen to who they're trying to sell this to because it's a marketing campaign when you sell a product and we're all smart people. We all know that that is what they're doing. You have to be responsible as the consumer to really look through and see. And if you are not willing to look and see what these claims are and and like dive into it, which I guess maybe some people don't. Well, most people can't. Well, maybe they don't care. Maybe they think I'll give it a try and a practitioner suggests it. So they give it. So they try. Yeah, it. But if you're looking at somebody, just hold, on, devil's hold on, advocate. But if you're looking at somebody that's general population and you're saying, OK, well, like really take the time to dive into it. 
What are they going to do? They're going to use a Google search. They're not going to know how no, no. to understand and interpret research. <laughs> yeah, no, I, but that's kind of my point. They trust the marketing. They trust the person that's recommending it. So they give it a try. And if they think it'll make them feel better, then they'll do it. My point is when research hasn't caught up or when we haven't got to a point where we can actually say fact about something, there's always this gray area between the companies marketing it, practitioners or whoever, whoever prescribing it and the people trying it before we get to a point where there's an actual, this is fact. That is, I think, in so much of nutrition, health and healthcare that I mean, you can argue six, to, six ways to Sunday, like whether you should or shouldn't do it, if it's real, if it's not, if it's fact, if it's researched, there's always going to be these gaps in between until we know. You have to decide as the consumer one, have you done your homework? Two, are you talking to someone like Darone who, or someone that is, you know, well-versed in research and understands? And then two, if you're willing to try something without knowing what it really is going to do to your body. I think those are the questions that are really important when you look at a supplement. And we're talking today about collagen because it's something that's popular. And we're talking about it because it's gaining momentum. Why is it gaining momentum? Why is it popular? Because it's marketed that way. People aren't taking vital, I think it's vital protein vital because protein, they yeah. because they think it, of the, well, I'm sure part of the claims, but listen, Jennifer Aniston's putting it in her coffee and she's all over the internet or, you know, some big athlete, I mean, Tom Brady, he could say he took God knows what and people will run out the door and try it because the marketing around his performance or the way she looks and his aging is what people correlate to that being successful. So the gap between that and then the research is just something I think people should be aware of or think. Yeah, about. I mean, I don't. has Jennifer Aniston had um, any uh, surgery, like modifications? Yeah. Well, clearly, I don't know her, so I wouldn't be able to answer. I don't that. know. Is that like I? I have no idea. But it, listen, I you look at somebody like, like wait, well, hold cares? on. You look. You look at uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez. Lopez. She definitely God. had work done. A thousand percent. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to say she has my, or hasn't. Here's my point: is that the marketing here, behind? The here's trust. my point. Here's my point: <laughs> is that you know people want to take these products to look like a so, certain so and so, and they have money to throw at. You know what I saw the other day was the the fact that the all of the Kardashians. Oh, please. Yeah. They're, they have drastically changed. Like they never actually looked like the way that they actually look now. And no. it's just been. They look so like normal gradual. humans at the beginning. It's now been, they. It's been so gradual over a long period of time. It's one surgery here, one surgery there that I think people, people's kind of perception is morphed. So when it comes to even skincare, mm -hmm. when you're looking at somebody like Jennifer Aniston or some kind of a celebrity, they probably are having work done. They're probably doing Botox. They're probably doing all of these things that you may or may not have access to as a well, general it's consumer. The compound effect is what we're getting back to, right? Whether you have surgery, whether you're doing small procedures, whether she had a mini facelift along with her collagen, like that doesn't even matter. The point is the way that they're living truth, the access they have to other options clearly makes it a very different response. But my point is just, you know, I, I mean, I know you must have experienced this, or at least maybe I have more females. I can't tell you how many women come in and say collagen peptides. Oh, the Jennifer Anderson supplement. Like, that's what they connect it to. They don't think. Well, that's marketing at its finest. 
Exactly. They're brilliant at getting people to buy because of A, B, C, and D. So I always say to them, you have to think this through. And it's not even about research. It's just, Some of it is kind of logic, <laughs> but people right, want to so look. People want to stay young. In any case, we're off topic here. So the, <laughs> moral, <laughs> of the, the moral of the story here is that uh, from a gut health standpoint, listen, can you use it and will it potentially work? Sure. I'm just not sold on it actually being a claim on a product until it is actually a valid claim. That's all I'm saying in regards to that. Yeah. And I agree with you too. The fact that if you have gut issues, this is definitely not the place to start. Yeah. I mean, listen, Nicole, there are things that we have research on that that are still even being used. And you and I talked about this offline when it comes to like IBD, for example. I remember yeah. a project I yeah. did when I was an undergrad and it was the use of probiotics in a clinical setting in hospitals uh, as a treatment for IBD. And it's used, but the research it still even shows that it doesn't do anything for it. So probiotics, as far as we know right now, they're not really beneficial towards things like IBD. Maybe they will be in the future as we learn and uncover more. Yeah. Like Nicole, like you were saying earlier, is that sometimes the research just isn't there yet. But sometimes we kind of like use things prematurely. And I think the supplement industry, like I'm saying, is that they prematurely say that things do, like we did that episode a long time ago about mushrooms. Like it was yeah. like within our first 50 episodes. Right. And it, it's kind of premature on that. But some of that research in and of itself has kind of evolved since then. Mm -hmm. I listen, I live by our tagline is real science, real facts, real food. So yeah. all I really try to do is just deliver it based on that. And mm -hmm. if the science isn't uncovered, then I'm not going to say that it, it's settled yet until, you know, in a couple of years from now, maybe there will be some articles that come out and some human mm -hmm. studies that show that collagen is in fact beneficial for gut health. Yeah, I agree. All right. So with that being said, those are the claims, uh, generally speaking. So skin elasticity, uh, wrinkles, wrinkle depth, skin hydration. It seems that collagen helps with that. Uh, it seems that some of those um, prolyl hydroxyproline and hydroxyprolyl glycine, uh, they do get deposited into the skin after they are ingested. They get deposited into the joint tissue and those are the some of the unique components that are really shown to be beneficial for your skin and joints uh, from a joint health standpoint. And from bones, it does seem to be uh, beneficial from an aging standpoint for bones. Uh, you're not going to reverse osteoporosis or breakdown of your bone tissue, but you may delay it for a longer period of time, increasing your quality of life and uh, decreasing your risk of mortality from falling and fracturing something. And then from a gut health standpoint, undecided, inconclusive, maybe down the road, we'll see that it is beneficial in humans, but we're just not there yet. Now, when it comes to lifestyle factors, first and foremost, vitamin C is actually a nutrient responsible for your body making its own collagen. Now, does that mean that if you already have vitamin C in your system, that taking more will help you? No. What it means is that if you're deficient in vitamin C, that that may help you further, that it may be detrimental to your skin, I guess I'll say, and your joint tissue if you're deficient in vitamin C. Now, the thing is with vitamin C, when it comes to supplementing, first and foremost, I say eat adequate produce, eat things like strawberries, peppers, oranges, lemon, like citrus fruits, guava is very high in vitamin C. So make sure that you're getting your vitamin C from whole food sources. I think 
you know, I just took a course in micronutrients and the professor was like scurvy's on the rise again because people aren't eating adequate fruits and vegetables. And I'm like, that's crazy to me that like scurvy's on the rise, really? So, well, when the carnivore diet is popular, that makes sense. <laughs> right. So, and this is where we get into like, there are certain nutrients that you need that you're Balance, not going to get from animals, right? Balance. So now when it comes to vitamin C, I just take the route, like I supplement with 500 milligrams of vitamin C daily. Uh, what the research shows is that low intakes of vitamin C at about 180 milligrams or less, you have about 80 to 90% bioavailability because it goes through a sodium dependent facilitated diffusion, which is the way that it gets absorbed in your intestines. However, when you take higher doses, like 1250 milligrams is shown to decrease bioavailability all the way down to 50% and then 3000 milligrams to 40% bioavailability. So with that being said, I think when people take like, I take a thousand and I used to do this too. I, when people take a thousand milligrams in the morning of vitamin C or sometime throughout the day, I think that that's too much What the research shows when it comes to vitamin C, which is also supportive for your immune system, but that's a whole nother topic is that small doses throughout the day tends to be better than one large dose because then you can absorb, like if you take a hundred milligrams four or five times a day, which I don't really expect people to do. That's why I just take a 500 in the morning and then I rely on everything else that I eat throughout the day. But if you take a smaller dose, like if you're taking a thousand milligrams a day in one pill, I just think that that's overkill. You're only going to absorb about half of that. So vitamin C, because it's responsible for collagen production, for your own collagen production, eating adequate fruits and vegetables, I think is the best thing you can do for your skin. And there are other nutrients as well that you're going to get the B vitamin biotin, for example, you're going to get mm -hmm. from your food that is going to allow you to have healthier hair, skin, nails, etc. Um, hydration is super important. So we always talk about drinking half your body weight in ounces per day, and it doesn't necessarily have to be water. It could be other things. It could be tea. It could be coffee. That's still going to hydrate you, even though it has a slight diuretic effect. Um, and I think that uh, just making sure that you're getting, I mean, listen, I drink seltzer, a lot of it. I love it. I need something with a little bit of flavor. If you're that person that's like me and you need some flavor in your life, go for it. I don't care what anybody else says. <laughs> flavor is okay. Um, adequate sleep, managing your stress, not getting adequate sleep is going to be a stressor. Increasing your stress is going to uh, have an impact on all of the things that we're talking about from a lifestyle standpoint and physical activity and movement and exercise is regarded as a modifiable protective factor for the loss of collagen and many other comorbidities. So being regularly physically active, whether that means you're lifting weights or you're running or you're going for a walk and you're focusing on getting your steps in, all physical activity is going to be protective for loss of collagen. And if you really think about it, when you're using your joints, and this is one of the things that we talk about when it comes yeah. to like osteoarthritis, for example, movement is something that you want to do on a regular basis because you're going to protect the joint and you're going to help to prevent breakdown. If you, It's like muscle. If you don't use muscle, it's going to break down. The same thing with your joint tissue. Like Your joints need to be mobile and they need to move, and that's going to help to protect the collagen and all of the components, really the hyaluronic acid, everything that's in your joints, it's going to help to protect that joint in its entirety. All right. So uh, I feel like this episode was more or less kind of uh, an advertisement uh, as, <laughs> as like a, a pro collagen 
uh, episode. And, <laughs> you know, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that we're not always just pro things, but I do think that collagen is something that is shown to be beneficial. I think it, you can absolutely benefit from it from an aging standpoint, from an appearance standpoint, from a joint tissue, from, from athletes looking to recover from an injury. If you're going through physical therapy, I think that that can be an adjuvant to add in addition to your physical therapy and nutrition is, is super important when it comes to yes. your therapy and getting back on that field for whatever sport that you play. Nutrition is going to be important, supplementing with vitamin C or eating adequate fruits that are high in vitamin C, right? So um, overall, I do think that the research is pretty good, pretty promising when it comes to collagen. We'll follow up with this in the future if anything changes, but that's where we're at in terms of collagen supplementation right now. And just don't worry about the type of collagen, where it's coming from, whether it's an, uh, like a land animal, like a beef, or it's coming from marine collagen, that stuff doesn't really matter. And I would say hydrolyzed any type of protein is going to be more isolated and just have the the components that you want, just like hydrolyzed um, whey protein is going to be better than whey protein concentrate. So if you're looking for something that is slightly better quality, maybe a little bit more expensive, um, hydrolyzed collagen or collagen peptides are going to be super beneficial. But I do think that all collagen in general at a dose of 2.5 grams per day to 10 grams per day uh, seems to be beneficial. And if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 